Well, welcome to the podcast tips with Rob Greenlee, um, the, the live show that I do every uh, Thursday on the StreamYard channels. It's great to, to have you with me here watching live. It's always exciting for me to do this show live. I'm, a, I'm definitely a live junkie. So th this is just my fourth episode doing this for StreamYard on their StreamYard channels. And I'm definitely very excited to uh, speak to the guest I have here. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky to have uh, Roberto Blake with me here too. But I wanted to mention a couple things before we get started and kind of tell a little bit about uh, Roberto as well. But at the end of the show, I'm going to be doing a StreamYard merch giveaway. And so stick around. And as you can see in the bottom scroll, there's instructions down there on how to participate to get your uh, your mug and uh, puddles the duck. So <laughs> it's always a, a fun aspect of the show. And I'm, I yep, okay. So Roberto, you're so join the party of uh, duck owners, I guess. <laughs> so it's so anyway. Um, my special guest, uh, uh, Roberto Blake. Uh, actually, he's at uh, Roberto Blake. Um, dot com. So here, let me pull up his his uh, uh, a website here, and you, you can see. And I can I can explain a little bit to you about him. He's a highly respected and influential digital media leader, known for his expertise in video content creation and social media strategies. Also, a, considered a YouTube expert. And which I'm really excited to have him on with the convergence going on with what's happening with podcasting and, and YouTube. And I know you've done, you know, R R Roberto, you've done lots of um, educational videos on this convergence as well. So yeah, between the two of us, right. on the StreamYard channel about um, getting your podcast set up, a video podcast set up for YouTube and uh, StreamYard, who's also my wonderful, wonderful sponsor, has been incredibly patient with me on releasing a series on uh, oh. podcasting that will be coming out here fairly soon. Um, yeah. Working on some of the final edits uh, as we speak, quite literally. Um, that's what I would be doing right now. If I wasn't here with you this evening, I'd be still. <laughs> that. And yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be great stuff. I love the convergence of video and podcast and how it's allowing so many people to monetize and expand and get a new audience. They would have never reached. It's been great. Yeah. And it's really I've mentioned this, you know, if you've heard the last couple of episodes, I've mentioned this too, because I'm a, I started podcasting back in 2004 mm -hmm. and was back in the era when video podcasting was a huge part of the podcasting space. It's, it's, uh, it kind of disappeared for a while. Everything kind of went um, with the focus around audio and, mm -hmm. but yet the, there's this kind of undercurrent, undercurrent that's been going on since then. Uh, with YouTube, because yes. YouTube actually got a lot of the video podcasts in the early days. In the um, early days, absolutely. Right, yeah. right. So and they, now it's, it's dominating YouTube now, uh, podcasting, uh, right. especially live podcast with multiple guests is the format that is dominating YouTube right now. We saw it in the when, when Joe Rogan was doing it before he moved to Spotify. Now yeah. I would say probably the person who's taken that spot would be someone I'm a big fan of. Uh, Patrick Bet David's been doing a tremendous job with podcasting um, live on YouTube. Yeah, I think it's you know, and I think as far as the podcast industry, it's it, it's been so singularly focused on this, this concept of it, it's an audio platform um, that it's it, it's it kind of gets its um, 
it, you know, it, it kind of gets a little frustrated with people using the word podcast to describe live because it's, it's predominantly been an on-demand medium. Um, so it's, it, it's interesting to see this, this evolution and this development that's happening around um, the use of the term because of the perception of audiences, right? So when they see like us here doing what we're doing here, they see us as a podcast. Whether or not we are or not is kind of irrelevant. I feel like whether they feel we are or not uh, from a, uh, in terms of a colloquialism, yeah. I think it's irrelevant because the yeah. the colloquial term evolves with the culture and with the times. And frankly, I don't think they should be bothered with gatekeeping it because like they say podcasting killed the radio star. So it's um, full circle that podcasting yeah. would enter into the world of live broadcast, considering the homage it owes to radio, which was live broadcast as well. Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, all these worlds are colliding on each other. And that's, that's what, you know, it's really great that we're starting with this because it's going to set it up for how we kind of expand this conversation beyond. And we definitely want to get um, you who are watching this right now um, to participate. You know, I've seen a lot of comments coming in already and we're, we're definitely excited about that. Um, and it's, it's it just, it's just such an energizing aspect of this. And I, I, I did live radio for about seven years. And so the, as you might imagine, you know, that flows through into what I'm doing here as well. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. I started doing that back in 1999. And so, and then started taking that radio show I was doing out as a podcast in 2004. And so, so it wasn't a perfect fit because I had a lot of advertising in my radio show. And so back in that time, actually the podcasting industry was very anti-commercialism too. I mean, yes. if you had ads in your show, you were like, you know. Now, if you have ads in your show, you uh, made it, you're legit. See, the thing is right. you did if you did it. See, here's the funny thing about yeah. These movements, these movements all end up being a bunch of artsy fartsy folks. It ends up being starving artists. And then the thing is, the OGs who build all of it never get to enjoy the riches because they let their emotionalism about the craft overshadow pragmatism and forethought and the fact that, no, if something's legitimate, it needs money to be invested in it. And money is a show of respect. And that's the thing that I'm I'm by heart, at heart, an artist, but by trade, a capitalist. And (laughs) it's very hard for a lot of people um, who may not find me appealing. I think it's hard for them to reconcile that, but that makes me the strongest advocate for the arts because I believe that things are shown respect by the amount of investment that someone makes in them. When you invest in something or someone, you're showing them respect. And that that's the part of me that insists that artists become capitalist is because you work very hard on these things. You created things that are unique. You suffered for the ability to make them. Oh. Why are you allowing people to disrespect you by not valuing those things? Yeah, I do. I do agree with that. I mean, I started in this journey in a commercial medium called radio. So I was running ad spots and stuff like that. But I do think that we ran into this buzzsaw of anti-commercialism that came out of radio because radio was over commercializing. So this was kind of like a reaction, an inverse reaction to over commercialization. (laughs) <laughs> it's the it's the counterculture and i make the joke and i don't mean it sincerely when i make the joke but everyone grows up and sells out now don't they and, oh, then, well, yeah. and by that i mean um it's a cynical joke and i don't mean sell out i mean it in quotation marks because the thing is you sell out when you compromise your values 
But I don't think that growing up is compromising your values. Growing up is maturity. Growing up is wisdom. Mm-hmm. Growing up is lived experiences. Growing up is also setting new boundaries and saying, what I was willing to do when I was naive is not something I'm willing to do when I'm wise. And, so <laughs> that's, and I think there's a maturity that comes with that. And that's where I make the joke that everyone grows up and sells out. Everyone grows up and says, what I was willing to do when I didn't know any better and be taken advantage of is not something I'm willing to do now. I'm not willing to tolerate being devalued or disrespected in the same way for the sake of acceptance, openness, and people liking me. I'm willing to be disliked and respected instead of disrespected and like and being well liked. And I think that's a maturity issue. Yeah, I mean, I think it is. Um, and I do think that most people that start a podcast would like to earn some money. And I think that there, there's so many pathways now to earn an income with creating digital content now that, yes. that it's really, you know, I've, I've been the full spectrum on this. And, and I think it, I, I've seen shows that have done very, very well and shows that have struggled, you know, and there's, there's definitely not everyone wants to make a direct income from the show, but most people want to make some sort of a, of our income stream coming through it either directly from the show or through some other product or service that they want to offer. And that's, that's an important part of this. And I do increasingly see, and maybe you can confirm this too, um, that, that those that do audio and video together and have an understanding on how to do that and how effectively do it um, tend to do a little bit better and also more frequently. So what do you think about those things? Well, absolutely. It's no different than many other things creatively. Let's say you were a photographer. Let's say you were a photographer, but you stacked that with the skills of videography. Or let's say you stack the skills of videography with the skills of being a photographer. You'll make a lot more money on weddings if you do. That was my advantage back when I was a freelancer. Mm-hmm. Now, stack the skill of being able to not just take photos, but edit video, edit photos. You make more money. Stack the skill of right. being able to edit videos and not just shoot videos. You make more money or vice versa. So mm-hmm. the, the skill stacking allows you more avenues for monetization and usually from the same resource. So what we're doing is you've heard the phrase, you've heard me talk about the idea of multiple streams of income, right? Right. Now imagine multiple single streams of income from a single skill. Now imagine you're taking a single skill and monetizing it more. Now, right. now imagine you're taking a single piece of your hardware, your utilities and say, wait a minute, I have the same hardware, the same utilities, the same resources. If I have the same right. resources, but I can monetize those resources multiple ways or monetize them more, mm-hmm. why wouldn't I? I'm getting more money from the same resources that I already have available to me. Why wouldn't I? So uh, from that perspective, yes, if someone is good on the video or audio side and then they can move into the other arena, there is more benefit to doing so and to be had. And it also increases uniqueness. It increases uniqueness. Um not everyone is a polymath. Not everybody is multidimensional. Someone who is, is now more of a commodity than someone who is not. Right. Yeah, and also, you know, if you can strategize to figure out ways that you can create, let's say, create an audio version and a video version and be able to, to dice that up, um, c- kind of cut that up and to utilize it in a variety of different ways, um, it's the diversification of, of creating that content. And that, that's a little bit of a skill too. I don't know if you've, there is, uh, yes. on what's your thoughts on that as far as a strategy on how to, how to pull all that together. So you can produce one piece of content that you can, you can create revenue streams from in multiple ways. You literally 
get the paid version of StreamYard. Bruce, <laughs> right, right. Well, that's, I mean, the, but it's literally the answer. It sounds like I'm shilling here. And no, I know, yeah. Because I get it. they're, they're my, my, my biggest sponsor. They're my favorite sponsor. They're my most consistent sponsor. But literally, I'm making a video about this process. And what I will say is if you get the paid version of StreamYard, you have the capacity to have the video and the live stream and even do these remote interviews. You also have the local recordings, which means you now, if you want to have the skill of editing, you can assemble that and you can do the switching of the camera angles because you have the raw feed there. But literally, StreamYard will let you download those individual videos, but it also lets you download the individual audio. And then you can go and you can master the audio. And the where I would go for that is, well, you need to do a podcast, you need hosting, but you also need editing tools. The AI editing tools and improvements, yeah, the best that's in the powerful. is so powerful. I'd probably use PodCastle for the hosting, the audio editing, and the distribution on the audio side. So I use StreamYard as the best tool to make the actual thing. Mm-hmm. And I do it in real time with the live streams or I record on the back end with the local recordings as a recording. Then I can download the audio, single click, take the audio. Then I can use the AI tools in PodCastle to master it. Then I can use PodCastle as a host and right. distribute it to multi-platforms, to Apple, Spotify, YouTube Music, um, you know, all these different uh, audio platforms for it to be consumed and digested there. Then while I'm using StreamYard, while I'm doing the live stream, if I filmed it live or what have you, or um, I can use that and I can simulcast it on all live video platforms, especially all live video platforms that pay me and allow me to monetize YouTube, mm-hmm. Twitch, um, X.com, formerly Twitter, uh, Facebook, all of it. Yep. So now I'm everywhere and I'm monetized or I'm trying to be, or this is helping me meet those monetization requirements by doing the live stream. Easiest way to get monetized is to do a live stream podcast, believe it or not. Then in StreamYard, the paid version of StreamYard, I have the clipping feature. I can push the B button and I can mark everything that would make a good clip, good sound bite throughout the thing. Every time I ask a guest a question, I push the B button. So then I have these markers. Now, in StreamYard, I can cut up the clips and I can redistribute them and I can do it right there in StreamYard. Or if I want to take advantage of AI, I can download the raw video and I can upload that to Opus Clip and Opus Clip will reformat, remaster and do everything for me. And then I have that via Opus Clip. So I can use that to then make my small short form video in widescreen, vertical, whatever I need. And I can redistribute that through all the platforms that pay me Instagram with reels, Mm -hmm. TikTok, X.com, formerly Twitter, Facebook reels and that ad program as well. And also I said, I think I said YouTube shorts, even Snapchat. And then every one of those places can pay me money for my short form content that came from my long form video. It's literally, I can start with StreamYard as the beginning of the sausage factory. And then I can sit there and, okay, AI will take care of the audio uh, for the Mm -hmm. most part. And I can tweak it manually. AI will take care of the short form and I can tweak it manually. Or if I want, I can use StreamYard, download everything myself and do everything fully manually if I think I'm a better craftsman than the computer. So that is... That is literally the process. I've literally given you everything. This this StreamYard lets you simulcast it to all the video hosting platforms. And then with PodCastle's AI, you can edit it, master it, improve it better than your skills if you're not an audio engineer, and then distribute it on all the audio platforms, problem solved. And then with StreamYard, 
and ma- then maybe Opus Clip, you can mm-hmm. go ahead and cut it up and literally distribute it to all of the short form platforms. Mm-hmm. So that is how you streamline the distribution by using StreamYard to streamline the process. Right. Yeah. Made simple, live streaming made simple, content made simple. StreamYard. Link in the description down below. <laughs> I, they're my favorite sponsor, and this is why I hope that I'm one of their favorite creators. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I I agree. I think trying to um, do all this in a way that's easy for the content creator and takes advantage of all those opportunities, like, like you said, which are are pretty vast, actually, the more you think about it, um, is that it is kind of forcing the podcast industry to kind of adapt um, probably a little faster than they're used to adapting. Yes. And it does kind of make me wonder, yeah, yeah, so I used to work for Lipson, I used to work for Podbean, I used to work for um, Podcast One, all those platforms. And, I'm very and, familiar with all of them. I've um, yeah. used Libsyn before. Um, mm-hmm. Now, uh, I've, I've used Libsyn, SoundCloud, uh, pod, uh, Podbean, no, so, mm-hmm. uh, no, Buzzsprout, not Podbean, Buzzsprout, Buzzsprout, and yeah, Simplecast. Right. And now I'm looking at hosting over at Podcastle specifically because of the competitive pricing and the AI tools. Yeah, yeah. I mean, increasingly these platforms are integrating AI tools, but um, some of them are kind of slow at this at this point, and it, it, it does. I've been talking about this for probably a good year is, is that there is an opportunity for a, a platform and maybe it's podcastle, maybe it's something else also that will integrate all these tools together in a way, because right now you kind of have to piecemeal it together to some degree to actually accomplish everything that you want to do. Um, and some, some of them work okay. Some of them don't work that great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you do have to spend a little bit of time kind of making sure that what's outputted is what you want, right? Because it isn't always right. And it always, it, it doesn't always present how you might want to present yourself. I don't know what's your experience with that. Agreed. Um, a lot of this is, uh, I've been around doing this for a very long time. A lot of this is uh, building uh, Frankenstein's monster, so to speak. Right. Um, <laughs> and something's going to break on that pathway because you're trying to connect up a lot of things, Right. Yes. So, so I, I think that the best thing is to move fast and break things. Mm-hmm. And then you figure out where to patch, where to fuse, what to do. And that learning is more valuable because once the thing is fixed in and of itself, mm-hmm. the thing is you have these problem solving skills that you wouldn't have had otherwise. So it's great when other people come in, think about all the people who come in and they can do everything they need to do with a push of a button, but they've never learned the principles behind that button push. Mm -hmm. You and I have had the privilege of being early and being pioneers and taking the arrows in our back, because here's the thing, taking those arrows in our back were how we earned our immortality. We're like, we're invincible because we know how to take a punch. Someone who only ever has to push a button and never went through the process and never learned the principles they have power, but they're a glass cannon. Right. You know, right. they are a young, yeah. they, they think themselves um, a god, but they're a very young god. They have the power, but not the immortality because they cannot take a punch. Yeah, because it can be a little frustrating um, doing this, right? And you have to learn from the school of hard knocks to some yeah. degree. It's not, it doesn't just come naturally. It's just like even running a live show like this with all, so many things going on at the same time. 
uh, it does take a practice and it takes a little bit of skill and it also takes a little bit of, you know, taking deep breath and just taking it as it comes and don't get tense and don't get too um, overly stressed about it because that's going to impact the quality of the content that you're producing too. Cause you, you are starting to juggle a lot. I had to do this in the radio station too, where I was like, I didn't have a phone screener. So I had to answer the calls that were coming in on the phone at the same time I was writing the sliders. And yeah, I did have a, a producer in the, the main boardroom, but, mm-hmm. but I had to manage everything plus do the content plus lead the conversation with other people. And it's just like, it is a skill that you have to develop and build. And, and I know you do live stuff too, where you talk to your audience, kind of like what what's happening with this show. And, and I, I do and, that. I manage yeah. these slides and the screen sharing. I manage the soundboard. Yep. I do all of it. Um, and monitor the stats in real time, by the way, <laughs> like the, yeah. um, and it's a thing I also learned and I built, um, I still do all my YouTube thumbnails. I still do all my YouTube thumbnails. I still do all my own video editing. It's interesting. A lot of people um, in the space, and I would, I'd like your thoughts on this. Like there is a lot, and there's a value to having a team and having the support that a team brings. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I find that a lot of people want advice from like creators that have like 1 million, 10 million. They don't want to hear from a lot of mid-tier creators that I interview. I interview a lot of people that are full-time creators, but they're not a million subscribers yet. And people are like, oh, I want to hear from someone a million, 10 million, so on and so forth. Uh, But a lot of the questions that they have, those people aren't really equipped to answer them or answer them as in a relevant way because those people haven't done everything from scratch in years, sometimes in five years, three years. They're not on the ground anymore. Their team is. And it's literally a, if I were to talk to that person, they'd have to, uh, I'd have to interview their team members. Really. I'd have to have a panel. If I had a creator with 5 million, 10 million subscribers, what I really need is I need to have a panel with the leaders and the leadership team that they have, um, to actually get technical answers because that creator cannot tell you the editing process behind their own videos anymore. because They aren't editing them anymore. Right. Would have to tell you, what thumbnail designer, their manager, or their leadership team hired because they're not in Photoshop anymore making those thumbnails. They right. they were there and they did the shoot for the posing that week or whatever, or the staging a, a month ago or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Or mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I shot like a hundred things at a photo shoot and they use those in the thumbnails now. Like that's that's how it is for honestly, that's how it is. Or oh, my guy does the thumbnails and he takes all these photos of me and then he runs them through an AI and he does his magic work. That's what these creators would tell you honestly and when you meet them at events like vid summit where i just spoke mm-hmm. at in october and so on and so forth like the the a lot of the creators actually to their credit did panels and went on stage with their teams and there was a there was a panel that had the editors behind the biggest youtube channels and that was fascinating if you had had those youtubers on instead of their editors you would have never actually gotten um the substantive answers and craftsmanship because you weren't hearing from technicians because a lot of creators smaller and smaller numbers, younger and younger are moving to outsourcing everything and quality improves dramatically and they grow faster for it and good for them, those who can afford it and invest with it. But the reality is if you took away the resources and you reduced them back to being a bedroom YouTuber with a camera and a laptop again, even if it was a good camera, the best camera money can buy, they don't know how to use it anymore. The best microphone money can buy, they don't know what the settings for the audio are anymore. The best uh, computer and video editing software money can buy. If you put them alone and you take away the resources of the team, right? the quality of product they can produce is nowhere near what the collective produces for them. 
On the other hand, if you take that creator away and you take their team, their team can make a great product with almost anybody. That's the irony. And that's not mm-hmm. to discredit or discount the creators. The creators are tremendous talent. The creator is the performer. They're the mastermind. But yep. when they stop being, when the creator exits the craft and they stop being the script writer, they stop being the producer, they stop being the editor or even part of the editing process. If you're not going to be the editor, you have to be the director and part of the process. Mm-hmm. When they stop being anything but the talent, it stops being their craft and their art and their product. And it becomes the product of the collective now. And the most, like nobody I don't think is truly disposable in that. But the honest to God's truth is if you take a creator who's been doing it on their own, you take a small creator that's mm-hmm. made, like they've done 30,000 on their own, 50,000 on their own in like a year, two years, three years and learned the craft and all that stuff. And then you gave them the, the wonderful team that a 2 million or 10 million creator has. You give them that wonderful team. You give them those budgets. You give them those resources. They can make something as good or better. They can make something as good or better because they have the ability to earn an audience. They've proved that. What they don't have is the resources. They don't have the scale. They don't have the capacity of, hey, we have five, 10 people here working around the clock for a week. So now this project has 500 hours behind it instead of just your 50. Right. That's the difference. The difference is that scale. And that scale is something that if a a 30,000, 50,000, 80,000 subscriber follower creator was given the resources of a 2 million to 10 million subscriber creator, given the budget, given the team, having that 500 hours of production behind them, they absolutely can make as good or better a product. Yeah, and I do think also that it's it's helpful for the the core creator or the founder of the show or whatever to have some level of skills in all the aspects of doing a show, right? So they can actively manage their team unless they're bringing in, let's say, a, a producer that's really managing the team. Um, but that podcaster or that host needs to understand the business at yes. a fairly detailed level to be able to manage the team and make sure everybody's doing the right thing at the right time. And it's what you want. And because turning over too much control, uh, I think comes with some baggage too. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of those lines that, you know, then the talent becomes kind of like a people manager at that point. Right. It depends on the person's temperament. Right. People are very good at being invested in the craft, but they're horrible business people. So maybe they should let go of that and they should know enough to be dangerous, but they should also know themselves well enough to be safe. And sometimes that means turning over part of the keys to the kingdom to someone who has the right temperament and doesn't burn bridges and is a consummate professional. Sometimes there's an emotionality to some of us and we would be better served putting um, it in the hands of someone who can have that distance and yeah. can see the forest for the trees and can bring us back down to earth, rein us in, or even frankly put us in our place uh, where we might do more harm than good because we're emotionally compromised, emotionally invested. Well, sometimes I think for a content creator that's maybe been creating content themselves uh, for a long time and have have been fairly comfortable with it, um, for them to move to that next level and take on a production team and stuff like that, it's kind of like a startup company, like a tech startup, whatever founders don't like to let go. Right. They they, they want to be in control, but at some point you kind of have to let go. Right. Because 
Because then if you micromanage everybody around you, then that can limit your growth as well. And it also taps into your time that maybe you can put into the production um, that is more content focused that maybe can help elevate this as well. So it's a, it, it, it's a very interesting conversation. I've worked with a lot of celebrities back when I worked for, for Podcast One down in Los Angeles. And, and that's exactly it. I mean, a lot of, uh, especially celebrities will come in and want to, have someone else do everything else. And all they want to do is just show up. I mean, that's exactly what the Adam Carolla um, fellow does. He just walks in the door at the last minute, does the content and leaves and everybody else does everything else. So yeah, yeah that's kind of how I that think, works. I think you have to figure out where you fit because that might be the right choice for some people. And it might be the yeah. right choice for some people's team, if nothing else. Um yeah. Sometimes it's the right thing for the mission, for the project. And I think what's hard for people sometimes is to separate themselves and say, am I a mission-driven person? Am am I someone whose vision and mission is more important? Is it more important to accomplish my mission or more important to satisfy my ego? And I don't think everyone knows the answer to that. And I don't think even people who do know the answer are honest about what that answer is. And I think that that's largely a matter of temperament. And I think it's a matter of maturity and maturity is not predicated on age. There are people I know who have absolute humility and are about producing the best thing they're capable of. And they will listen to whoever will allow them to do that. I'll give you a primary example. I don't know if you've ever met at one of these events. Have you ever met uh, Mr. Beast, Jimmy Donaldson? I have not met him yet, but I would I'd love to meet him at some point. Yeah. yeah. If you come to Vid Summit, it'll be easy to meet him. He's um, a tremendous creator. The um, Oh, I know. He's huge. Yeah. <laughs> um, you could argue he's the largest homegrown YouTuber. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say he's the largest independent creator anymore because I would consider the Mr. Beast Enterprise to be a media company at this point. Yeah. It, right. um, it employs... Um, 200 employees plus additional contractors is multilingual. Now it is essentially the modern media company uh, just because it's not a mega conglomerate. And it's a, it's a, it's a company that's had a valuation in the billions of dollars. It makes um, in revenue projected 80 to a hundred million a year. It is an independent modern media company is what the Mr. Beast operation is. That's why I would refer to him as a homegrown creator. Right. Uh, but he is a media company. So I'm not comparing him to a bedroom YouTuber, even though he started that way. Sure. That being said, um, he's a really humble person. And I don't say that just because of his charity and his philanthropy. I had the privilege of being in a DM group that was active at some point a couple of years ago. Uh, it's not active right now. Um, but I was in a DM group. There was a project Mr. Beast was working on. Everyone in that group was smaller than Mr. Beast by many, many magnitudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think at the time I was literally like a thousand times smaller than Mr. Beast at the time, like a thousand <laughs> times smaller, right? right? And the the thing about it is, it seemed almost like people were reluctant to give him feedback or constructive criticism, and I knew from speaking to him before in person. Uh, they desperately wanted feedback and constructive criticism because when he spoke on stage at Vid Summit for the first time, it wasn't his first time being at Vid Summit, but his first time as a public speaker. By this point, I had spoken on stage a hundred times. 
So afterward, I spoke to him like in the hallway. It's just me and his security guard in like the the exit you go to for the bowels of the building. And I'm telling this story not as a name drop. I'm telling this as a lesson to anyone that no matter how big you get, you should always retain your humility. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Yeah. How valuable it is. And so I saw he literally begged for um, honest feedback about how he performed as a public speaker because he said, I just want to be better next year than ever. I want to be five, ten times better next year when I go on stage. It was my first time. I was nervous. I thought I was going to throw up. What can I do better? What would you have liked to have seen the presentation and why? And we literally sat there and talked for like 10, 15 minutes about um, his approach to public speaking and things I've learned by experience and things he could do differently. Next year, he comes back and he absolutely crushes it. So in a different scenario, I'm in a DM group with him. He has a video project that he was releasing. This was his YouTube rewind video. Mm-hmm. And um, the other people in the group, it seemed like everyone was reluctant to criticize or give him any feedback or tell him how something could be better because it's Mr. Beast. What could be better? Right. I desperately wanted real criticism and feedback. I also was like, is he maybe even just testing some of these people to see who will, um, you know, push back on him or who will be honest? Like, Oh, that's interesting. So I gave him some honest feedback. And one of the things I told him, for example, was at the end of the video, he shouts out some small YouTubers. I'm like, you're shouting these people out. Their channel is too small and their profile picture is too small. You're shouting them out. You got to do them proper. They have to be bigger featured on the screen. They're too small for me to see on if I'm on my phone. And he was like, Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. Um, and he makes them like um, 20% bigger. And I'm like, mm, make them another 10% bigger than that. Maybe another 15%. And he does it. Um, there was another thing where it's like, you called out these numbers on the screen about um, these numbers in these stats. You're the numbers guy. When you call out stats, there's a visual element on the screen. Why is that not happening in this video? And he's like, you're absolutely right. And he, um, he does it. There was this other scene where, he had to, they had to do it like the editor had to do it two or three times to get the pacing and timing right on this other thing. And then they did it. This is a man who at the time is like at over well over, I think a hundred million subscribers or some absurd thing like that. At this time, I'm a lowly like mid tier YouTuber at 400,000 subscribers or something like that. This man is willing to listen to someone that he's like a hundred times bigger than take their advice action on it because he cares about the video being the best it can be. And he doesn't care where the advice comes from. If the advice is the right advice, if it's correct. And the reason I say this is you should always be humble enough to say, I'm going to listen to someone and I'm going to base it on how valuable they are to my mission if they are right. Not off of, well, I won't listen to somebody because they don't make a million dollars or they don't like if they're right, they're right. Have the humility to take feedback when it's correct, factual, logical, mm-hmm. objectively right. You should take that advice to heart and to head And you should be willing to listen to that and you should be willing to be thankful and grateful. And that's why most of the things I test out and do, I do it and I test it out and I ask for the advice, not usually of my peers at my same level, but people that I vetted that I trust to criticize me in good faith, Mm -hmm. back on me in good faith that I know are committed to seeing me do well and want the best for me. Everyone should find people regardless of their background that want your mission to succeed and be willing to listen to them. Even yeah. if they're less successful than you, it doesn't mean they can't help you be more successful. They just have to have your best interest at heart and have a reason why they would know they were what they're talking about. Yeah, I agree. And I'm 
a lot of the reason why the podcast industry today is as big as it is, is because a lot of the early podcasters had that attitude, right? Where they would share their, their strategies and share successes and things like that at the conferences. So when people got together, people would, um, would do that. I think what we've seen over the last few years though, is that there, that there has been this tendency to, um, you know, competition or this view that, you know, helping someone else succeed is going to take away from my success. And so we've had this kind of little bit of a change over the last, you know, couple of years. And, but it's certainly how I approach this because I learned a lot about podcasting from other people in the podcasting medium very early in this medium. And, and that's the mantle that I took going forward is to help others learn as well. And now granted, I'm, I'm kind of back in the game now trying to learn the craft all over again because of all the changes that are happening mm-hmm. that I need to get, become a content creator again. So I can be more intelligently talk about AI technology and these platforms and, and kind of combat some of the, the myths that are out there too. Like mm-hmm. uh, one of the myths out, out there is um, podcasting is just a passing trend or I heard them saying that eight years right. ago. Right, exactly. Or that the market is oversaturated with podcasts. And I can actually show you evidence that that's not the case. YouTube uh, keeps being told it's saturated and everything like that. If YouTube was so saturated, why there's not why is there not a million content creators with silver play button trophies? I have a silver play button trophy. Do you realize how few people there are like that? It's less than half a million. And there's 100 million content creators worldwide. Um, so if there's 100 million and not even 1%, have earned an audience of a hundred thousand, then why would it be uh, saturated when it's not saturated with quality? Clearly it's not saturated with what an audience, a sizable audience wants. If it's so saturated, why is it 90% of creators never get to 10,000 subscribers? Cause the thing is it's not saturated with what the market is demanding. It's saturated with a lot of what it, the market rejects. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, yes. Yeah, so what, what I'm showing you right now is real time number from the podcastindex.org website that's tracking mm-hmm. all of the RSS feeds in the podcasting space. Now, this is just in the podcast side of things. This isn't including YouTube or what's going on over there, but this kind of gives you an idea of how many total RSS feeds that there are in the, the, the world today, about 4.27 million. Um, of which uh, only 113,000 have been updated with a new episode in the last three days and 247 in the last 10 days. The market is not saturated with consistency. The market's not saturated with quality. So that means in terms of if you are someone who wants to listen to podcasts on a regular daily basis and you only have so many things you care about, there are less than, and you want to listen nearly every day, there's not that many people who are accommodating you every single day. If you're someone who wanted to listen two, three times a week while you're working out in the gym, there's most people are not accommodating you. That's right. what these numbers, this, this is such a great statistic. And you got this from the podcast index. This is so great. Yeah. I wish there was a YouTube number like this, um, yeah. like in terms of tracking data, because here's what this means. This means that if you have a topic that people are very passionate about, and you were going Monday through Friday on that topic, what competition do you have? And the answer is probably none. Yeah. I mean, especially when you start thinking about um, frequently updating your podcast. So like that three-day number is very telling, right? It's like if you can publish twice a week, you're going to be playing in a – and this is globally. Um, 
you know, a much smaller pool of competition out there, at least on the podcasting side. Um, mm-hmm. That's not even counting what's There's happening on YouTube. Nobody um, in video podcasting, in video podcasting, in audio podcasting, in YouTube, in most niches, there's no one making high quality content Monday through Friday at all. There's almost nobody in any given niche that makes high quality content that they and their team put out solo or otherwise uh, three times a week. It doesn't happen. It's not high effort, high quality, high consistency and high value. Um, the, a lot of people who do daily, the audio is very bad. The lighting is very bad. The on-camera performance is dry. Mm-hmm. Any who can do, and I'm not telling everyone to do daily. I'm just making a point that if someone has uh, passable audio and video to the extent that you and I have right now, mm-hmm. and they were daily, they don't have competition in their niche if they were doing that. And okay. then the real kicker there would be you do have to make good thumbnails which is what most people's biggest struggle on YouTube is. Even if they make great quality video, they make very poor quality thumbnails. So if someone can do that and write good, compelling title headlines every day, Mm -hmm. produce thumbnails every day, and then produce good quality videos every day, who do you think you're competing with? The only people you're competing with already have hundreds of thousands or millions of subscribers, and they can't occupy the market for more than X amount at a time. Those people, after they watch that probably still have a desire and a hunger that hasn't been satisfied. And they won't always agree with the person at the top of the market, which means every single person Mm -hmm. that has a hundred thousand, a million subscribers is overdue for an arch nemesis at this point. That says the opposite (laughs) of everything that they say. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting, you know, what, what, what what's happening on this side and, and as we've seen the podcasting industry kind of contract a little bit over the last, I don't know, six months or so on the advertising side, it's really shifting this conversation to other forms of monetization that are more linked up with subscription and selling um, masterminds or products and services and, and things like that in a variety of different ways, you know, writing a book or publishing a booklet or creating webinars or whatever that strategy that you have is, is increasingly becoming what more and more people are trying to do out there. Um, Yes. And, and I don't know, I mean, what's the spectrum, um, uh, Roberto, of your monetization strategies yourself? Oh, God. I get like 22, 1099 forms every year. <laughs> you do? Okay, yeah. My accountant hates Next me. Taxes a nightmare, right? Is that what oh, you mean? Oh, my God, taxes yeah. are a nightmare. I had, I'm still actually paying back taxes because there was a year where I had a not great accountant, and then that put me behind. So, again, I pay my taxes, but it's like I had an account. And the IRS actually still owes me actually $20,000. We're still sorting out things from my um, previous bad accountant. Oh. Great company, and I have been for years. It's just that we've been um, – sorting through and playing catch up and there's all kinds of nonsense. And again, the IRS, like I owe money, but the IRS owes me money. Like, what are you going to do? They've kept me on um, hold. The IRS has kept me on hold for four hours before and struggled to somehow confirm my identity. I'm like, you guys are collecting my checks. You're getting tens of thousands of dollars. (laughs) I'm going to collect, confirm my identity. I digress. The point is, it's like, it's um, the business side of things. The business side of things is incredibly challenging for a lot of people, even established Mm -hmm. traders. And so, in answer partly to your question, the trajectory and like where I see things going with monetization, one, it, it, monetization is an ongoing, evolving conversation. For me, I don't rely heavily on ad revenue. 
uh, one of my, I have, I told you guys, StreamYard is my biggest and most loyal uh, sponsor of all time. Between that and other partnerships, that's a six-figure a year portion of my income is from the partnerships I have with companies. And no small part, StreamYard being one of my uh, most loyal sponsors long-term through the pandemic Um you know, and being literally a product I use every day in my own business because, well, what's the what's another one of my revenue streams? Um, I have Awesome Creator Academy. That's my education business. Now, when I talked about, well, you can monetize something multiple ways, mm-hmm. I literally monetize that business with digital download products. So that's passive income through cash flow from digital download products. Then I have my pro group membership. Uh, which right now is like $59 a month. We do two calls a week. That's where I was before the stream. So we do two calls a week. So that's eight calls a month, $59. But you also get access to all of our digital products. We don't have full courses right now. We have some mini courses right now. Um, My co-instructor, Andy Rivera, just did her Canva for Creators course to teach design and branding to Canva users who are content creators and how to make really great designs for their social media, especially for their Instagram and how they can use this. Uh, We did one first part of it for YouTube thumbnails. We did it for even doing animations for Instagram and things like that of that nature, right? Mm -hmm. So then we have all these digital uh, download products. We have the mini courses. We have the pro membership group, which is a subscription model. We have one-on-one coaching with me which is another cash flow thing. That's a service now. And so then um, the next phase is obviously uh, courses as full-blown course products. But we also do digital workshops once a quarter. And so we offer um, those. And so that's multiple streams of income from that business. And that's a six-figure business. Then with my YouTube channel, we monetize that in multiple ways. We do affiliate marketing. StreamYard's a sponsor and I'm an affiliate. Two Mm -hmm. buddies one of my sponsors. I'm uh, one of their better affiliates. I do very well with that. Um, I used to do maybe 80 to 90,000 a year in affiliate marketing. After the pandemic, it's come down and humbled itself down to about 65, 70K a year in affiliate marketing uh, through multiple products. Kajabi, TubeBuddy, StreamYard, Epidemic Sound. This is where all these 1099s come in. um, It's all these affiliates. What else do we do with the YouTube channel? We have another product directly outside of Awesome Creator Academy that I sell, my book. This book, I sell multiple ways. I don't have the audio book yet, but I have the paperback, the ebook, and the hardcover. So we have three SKUs right now, and that's just while the book is in English and before we go to um, – before we go to um, – Yep. And it's an Amazon. Yeah. And then eventually we'll do an audio book and then it'll be an audible. And then uh, I'll make money uh, from the audio book as well. Amazon bestseller, by the way, and, and um, was in top in its category, top in podcasting category at one point, over 150 plus positive ratings on it. Um, five, 77% of all ratings for the book being five stars, uh, 4.6 overall rating in Amazon. Um, so like, you can't really beat that. Um, one of the best books on the creator economy by the numbers, straight up by the numbers. <laughs> yeah, I think it's terrific. You know, being an author, there's, there's a bunch of different ways. So how did you actually write your book? Did you do it manually yourself or did you I have some myself in my uh, office every morning for a hundred days? <laughs> 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 and so I did that process manually. 
I drafted a mock-up of concepts for the cover. Then because of my friends uh, publishing with uh, Dale, Dale Roberts, uh, self-publishing with Dale, uh, he recommended someone in Fiverr. He recommended Marco. I went to Marco. I took my sketch to Marco of what I wanted the, the cover to kind of be. Uh, he gave me back uh, three ideas. I picked what would eventually become the cover for the book. And we got that in multiple formats. Then he did the interior design. I'm a graphic designer myself by trade. I just did not want to spend the time and effort and energy to do this. I used to do this for clients. I didn't feel like doing it. I already uh, killed myself writing the book. I didn't want to have to do all the other heavy <laughs> formatting it, unformatting it. So like Marco did that. I hired my friend uh, River uh, Chow to... Uh, she's uh, an editor. I hired her to do the editing. So for the two um, jackholes in my uh, reviews that complain about the editing and claim I never hired an editor, you're literally ignoring the woman whose name is listed in Amazon as the editor of the book and everything like that. Right. Uh, so no one's perfect, but I think she did a great job, especially with her, the time crunch she had. I think she did a fantastic job. Um, so like, yeah, there's a typo here or there. It's like, I still find typos in Lord of the Rings to this day. So, <laughs> right. Right. Um, so, yeah, so we got a, a, a yes. Yeah, so we got a question from Trezor. Uh, yeah. says, is it possible to use uh, a camera uh, with StreamYard? And I just wanted to say, yeah, I, I, you don't have to use a, use a webcam. Uh, you, you can use a DLSLR. I know that's what uh, our, our Roberto uses. Are you using a, a mirrorless? I'm using um, a, a mirrorless DSLR. In fact, okay. using not just one mirrorless DSLR. I'm technically using uh, two because I have the multicam switching. Oh, it's very good. I don't want to use a physical hardware switch. I have physical hardware switches for everything. I even have um, audio here and everything where I have uh, sound effects. I have all the things. Um, did that sound effect of the, of the drum roll come through? Yeah, yeah, I could hear it. It was kind of faint, though. Is it a roadcaster or is it? Roadcaster, and I had it turned down. So, yeah, I have a a roadcaster pro here myself that works really good for playing that stuff. I agree yeah. with you. Yeah, so I have so I have that. I have the ATEM Mini for a switcher. Now with Streamyard, you could use something like an Elgato Stream Deck or even your keyboard, and you could map shortcuts to Streamyard, and you could do that all on the software side. I'm an old school analog junkie, so I I do everything with hardware switches. Yep. Uh, so I have two Stream Decks here. I have the Stream Deck uh, Mini yep. and the Stream Deck XL. No, I have the Stream Deck M2, not the Mini, and I have the Stream Deck XL. So I have two Stream Decks. I have yep. it even for my other software. I have these manual physical keys for all of it, and I have my uh, manual switcher here, and I have my manual switcher for my soundboard. So... Uh, yes, you can use all of that, and it's all compatible with StreamYard. Yeah, I know it's it, it, it's terrific to have these little tools. I mean, because you do need to kind of streamline your workflow, and if you can have shortcuts to things. And I do believe that StreamYard is going to be adding some more elements to that. But but before time runs out on us, I, I wanted to share a little bit of detail, and I don't know how deep you've dug into this too, about adding a podcast to uh, YouTube. And yes, I actually did an entire video about it on the StreamYard channel. There's also a question that I definitely want to answer. It goes back a little bit. It's at 7.35, and it's from Live Podcast Media. I want to answer that question about algorithms. Oh, let's see here. Let's, let's see if I can find it. Um, yeah, but I, I've actually covered um, the 
um, setting up a podcast on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is the interface in, um, yeah. So you said seven thirty-five. Yes. 35. Okay. Yeah. Here it is. Yep. Okay. There we go. Uh, Roberto, the algorithm always changes. How do you keep up with it uh, regarding content creation? And um, uh, what do you focus at or on? So great question. Um, I don't believe in chasing the algorithm. And I'll tell you why. One, I can I can tell you a shorthand version of the YouTube algorithm. But um, before I get into that, I'll tell you why you shouldn't chase the algorithm. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't chase the algorithm. You should chase what the algorithm is hunting. Right. See, that I want that to settle into the audience's brain for a minute. Stop chasing the algorithm. Chase what the algorithm is hunting. Because the thing is, right. the algorithm's changes are just it adapting itself to the behavior of the people on the platform. And you have to understand what it's trying to get out of those people. So what is it hunting? So the thing is the algorithm is just adapting to the market conditions. If you Mm -hmm. understand the market conditions, what do you need to worry about the algorithm for? You're aligned already. If you're worried about market conditions and you're really studying that in real time, even if you don't have all the data, if you've made yourself uh, very, you've honed your intuition then you're already hunting the same prey as the algorithm. Mm-hmm. So you're aligned. So then why are you, you're not chasing it. You're in the same pack at that point. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least you're hunting the same prey. Now, what do I mean in this analogy? Let's operate from first principles. Mm-hmm. If you and the platform have the same goals, right? if you're understanding clearly what the platform's goals are, you need not worry about the algorithm because all it's doing is changing how it accomplishes that goal. And the thing is, as long as you're reading the tea leaves and you're adapting and you're innovating or you're satisfying the thing that it wants, AKA the audience's attention. Right. That's it. It's very unlikely that a shift, a change or anything such is going to that drastically never impact you at least so far as if you're the algorithm you're talking about is about um, audience and performance. But you also have to be realistic about what that means because mm-hmm. too many of you are judging it on viral content and you're all of you probably are watching too many million subscribed channels. They are anomalies. Right, right. The problem with worrying about what mil- when million subscribe creators do and think and 10 million subscriber creators and 10 million plus creators do and think is you're judging your thesis of life off of very rich people. It'd be no different than a regular small business owner or someone who aspires to be quit their nine to five job. Someone who aspires to quit their nine to five job and is just like, I want to make $150,000 a year really doesn't need the advice of people making $10 million a year, doesn't need the advice of people making $2 million a year, definitely doesn't need the advice of people making $100 million a year, does not need decamillionaires and billionaires uh, telling them anything. It's too far, and you can't judge your own results off of that. Success is much more moderate than that and um, is is not going to be outlier success. You do not need top 0.01% outlier success. The foundation of success Mm -hmm. is starting with understanding what the median is first and Mm -hmm. 
above the median. Now you're beating more than 50% of the market. That's already a massive accomplishment. Then from I'm, uh, I'm performing above the median, above more than half, so I'm technically outlier successful already. I now want to understand what the top 20% and 10% are doing. I want the standards of the top 10% and top 20%. Not their outcomes yet, but their standards. Because if I have their standards, there's a reason to have their outcomes. There's a reason to have their results. This is first principles. It's that if I have the standards of a top performer, there is a justification for me at some point having the outcomes of a top performer if I have their standards. It would be abnormal to not have the results and have the standards on a long enough timeline. So that's first principles thinking and then saying, oh, results are merely second and third order consequences to first principles. So it's that success follows successful habits, successful outcomes follow successful habits. Well, let's let's talk kind of more pragmatic terms about what what that means, I think on, on what, what that means to YouTube is duration of engagement yes. and uh, frequency of views are all, that's it, what YouTube, it, because it, that drives their, 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 their ad and premium models. Right? It's driving traffic to YouTube. Right. So if you become a destination channel where people start their YouTube journey with you're the video or right. channel, they start early to click on. So right. starting a session because YouTube's owned by Google and I'm old school web hosting guy, you know, mm-hmm. like Google analytics guy. I reverse engineered YouTube analytics from Google analytics. Right. Google rank brain became the YouTube algorithm itself. So I read all these Google white papers back in the day. I used to be Google AdWords certified. I was an uh, ad buyer. I was uh, an ad buyer. I worked in web hosting. So I know the back end. So I'm a tech junkie. I know the back end. Uh-huh. I've read all the white papers and blah, blah, blah. But let me simplify it. The simplification is okay. If we talk about a business, don't you love an employee that gets traffic in the door, gets people to come to the business? You love yeah. an employee who does that. So sure. you love that. Don't you love an employee that steals customers from your competition? You love an employee who does that, right? Right. Don't you love an employee that keeps people in the store a long time and keeps filling up their cart and getting yeah. them to do things? So in YouTube terms, someone whose channel makes people want to watch YouTube and start their their YouTube day. Hey, I'm logging into YouTube for the first time. And the first thing I want to see is this. And I'm typing in your name or I'm going directly to your channel or I'm bookmarking it or I'm clicking the first video I see from you. Yep. You're a destination channel. That is a positive signal to YouTube of viewer enjoyment. And it's like, <laughs> okay, your employee of the month. Like that's, that's like, okay, then you want to drive all the traffic to you. Right. Yeah. As YouTube want. <laughs> You're keeping them here right. in the store, filling up the cart. They're watching more content from you. Like, mm-hmm. like, um, everyone loves the employee. Every business owner loves the employee who's like, Oh, you're checking out, you're leaving here, have this product and add this to your cart at checkout. The person, if you were, I worked at a toy store when I was in, um, you know, uh, college, I worked at KB toys. I was assistant manager. It was always sell the batteries at checkout, sell the batteries for the toys at checkout, sell the accessories, sell the, this, sell the, um, you know, they buy three packs of Yu-Gi-Oh cards, get them to buy a four, four or five packs instead. Like it was always add more units per transaction. Getting people to watch a video is great. Getting people to watch two videos is better. Getting them to watch three videos is better than that. Or failing that it's better to get them to watch 50% of a 20 minute video than a hundred percent of a four minute video. Because 10 minutes 
is better than four. Oh, well, wouldn't it care more about percentage? It's like, would you rather have $10 or $4? I'll take the $10, please. That's what I thought. Would you rather have like, would you have, rather have 10% of $100 or would you rather have 100% of $5? Oh, I'll take the 10%, please. That's if it's the bigger dollar amount. That's what I thought. YouTube is no different. It would prefer more minutes of watch time, more hours of watch time to a higher percentage of lesser of that. If someone is watching a bunch of short content from somebody, and let's say someone's going to spend two hours on YouTube. If someone's Mm going to spend two hours on YouTube, you're rewarded more if you suck up 30 minutes of their time on your content, whether it's a video or a live stream, in that session, because you had the monopoly of their attention, it is better for YouTube and you will see that creator more than someone you only spent two minutes or three minutes on, even if you finished their video. If you spent 30 minutes with someone over three minutes with someone, YouTube okay. cares about that. But what yeah. YouTube really cares about is you spent 30 minutes watching videos about AI or podcasting, but you only spent 10 minutes watching um, uh, videos about politics. We think that you care more about AI and podcasting than you care about politics then. So we'll recommend you more videos on AI and podcasting because the ratio is three to one now. So it's very pragmatic things like this because if you were if you were a business owner and you say, hey, somebody buys more of brand X in a month than brand Y, whenever they come, I'm going to make sure I'm stocked up on brand X because they like that more. And so that's what you would do as a vendor. So like that's um, that's the basic thesis of YouTube algorithm theory. If you're operating from first principles and you understand that YouTube's goal and YouTube's competitive advantage is keeping people on the bloody site as long as possible mm-hmm. and siphoning as much of your attention as possible. Yeah, and I think if you even even looking at a platform like Twitter, um, they've increasingly added um, longer posts. So they went from 140 characters to 280, and now I think it's like over 5,000 characters now. So so this expansion, like you say, is about engagement. It's about duration of engagement on the on the platform, and all these social platforms are moving that direction. Longer form content is definitely more valuable to advertisers too. Look at Twitter spaces. They want people on that website and they've become that. And Twitter right. spaces is the new news feed for right. internet junkies. It is, oh, I want to hear what's going on in the world. I'm going to go into Mario Nawal's uh, Twitter space about um, geopolitics and world events and see what's going on in the world. Oh, um, like, you know, like there's, oh, uh, somebody is in a celebrity is in a scandal. Oh, I'm going to go into this Twitter space and hear all about it and hear how these people dissected it. And, oh, they found new information. They dug up their old tweets. They dug up this on Reddit. That's like really um, like they are paying attention. Think about it. Instagram moved to reels to keep people there longer. Like, because, oh, I can keep people here longer. And uh, it, it, even TikTok is moved to long form. They are stopping their creator program for short form. And they're all moving to the creativity program for videos over a minute long. And they're moving and pushing to 15 minute videos. And the real money in TikTok is now live streams. They're moving to long form. Right. All attention and engagement. So Don asks a question here, whether or not StreamYard has fixed the echo bug. I believe the noise reduction um, algorithm that is in the settings should fix most of that. 
I would imagine. But echo, I, I don't know. I haven't experienced any kind of an echo I problem. Either. Right. I haven't either. So that may be something more related to your setup of your your audio system. Uh, it could be that you have two mics open, like maybe your your laptop mic is also enabled at the same time you're using, let's say, a you know a USB mic or something like that. That can cause an echo problem as well. Uh, apparently, so. Streamyard put out some kind of notice. Um, it may be that there are a limited number of users experiencing a bug. Oh, okay, okay. So it is a legitimate issue then. Okay, cool. All yeah. right. Well, it's good to get some clarification on that. And um, while I have it up on the screen, I kind of wanted to show uh, folks. So if you wanted to add your podcast to YouTube, this screen that I'm showing you is the is the YouTube studio. Um, and there's a couple different ways. So let, let's say you have some video in there. Um, this area up here is it says create a new podcast. You click that button and you can assign videos to be a podcast um, designated in the platform that's also available in the YouTube music side. Um, so you can kind of create almost like a playlist there is really what you're creating. It's just labeled podcast. Uh -huh. but down below is a submit RSS feed. That's a fairly new capability that's in here as well, where you can submit an audio um, version of your show. And um, the, the thing about this is that you... Um, if you do this, you are giving approval to YouTube to capture a copy of all of your episodes, um, and they will re-host those. They'll actually transcode them into a video file format, and um, they will always be up there unless you go in and remove them or replace them or something like that, which you can do once you've, you've done this. So what you're doing basically is you're giving YouTube all your audio files that they can convert into a video. Yeah. I would recommend this for every single audio podcaster as a legacy backup of yeah. their podcast. Because um, correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, do you know of any audio hosting companies that do legacy hosting, meaning that if you stop paying because you literally passed away or were in a coma, your podcast and your RSS feed would be preserved for the episodes you've already uploaded? Yeah, I think that's a good that's certainly a good point um, that, that that they would be uh, always well as long as Google's around, right? They if, would always be up there on the platform. Exactly. And, if Google's yeah. over, then America's probably over, and we've got bigger problems. <laughs> yeah, that's that that's true. But there's kind of two pathways with uh, what YouTube is doing. So there, there's this pathway that I'm showing you, which basically give them your RSS feed. You're giving them all your episodes and they're going to rehost that those files. And your podcast host is probably not going to have any attribution to plays or anything like that. You'll have to get all that data off of the YouTube platform. Yes. Um, but the, on the YouTube music side, you can go into your, so let's say you have an account on YouTube music. You can go in, to your own account and add RSS feeds to to that um, that platform for your own library of content, right? So that's the difference here. So you can still be included on the video podcasting side and the audio podcasting side um, in YouTube Music through this method, or just uploading your video directly and then then basically designating it as a Podcast, podcast, which will distribute it to both. Yes, correct, correct. And so you got there is a tool that's out there now, and it's uh, here. Let me share that um, with the screen. Uh, it's it's called RSS 
YTM. So it's uh, the YouTube music. Yep. Dot net. And so what, what you do is you basically do a little search query in here. So let's say new media show, which is my other show that I do. Um, and it will bring up a list of uh, podcasts. Um, and so at the very top here, you can see new media show. Actually, there's two versions. So there's a video version, um, which is what I do as well. And then the audio version, you click on that, and it gives you the RSS feed that then you can go into your YouTube music and add that RSS feed to your library account. So you can get access to that podcast. In so You don't even have to be a techie if you use this website. Right. But you do have to cut and paste uh, RSS feeds, which is a little retro, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we moved beyond this, actually. Um, but, you know, I mean, these some of these fundamental, like, look, we haven't moved beyond HTML. Yeah, that's true. RSS, SMS, and HTML, like, well, HTML is a markup language. RSS is a protocol, and SMS is a protocol. We haven't moved beyond protocols on the internet, to be honest. No, no, just, that's true. To be fair, we're not making quite new ones. They're trying to make that in other technologies like um, blockchain, for example, and so on and so forth. And then there'll be applications that come from that. Uh, blockchain is basically, as a technology, you can think of it much in the same way as HTTPS or SMS or RSS, you know, um, or back yeah. in the olden days, IRC, um, like uh, if you remember. And then these yeah. other things yeah. are... What, what's email? Email is an application of the internet. It's not a protocol. It's an application. And mm -hmm. uh, um, and the the thing is, is HTML, PHP, Perl. These are just languages. These are programming and scripting languages. So right. the right. Um, so that's like I'm just, again I'm like a real like super nerd. I'm super. Nerd. <laughs> yeah, you could definitely go go far and and, and deep on these topics. There, there's no question. I've I've been yeah. living in this world for years myself too. Yeah. But but it's just kind of a sign of kind of YouTube kind of catching up because at some point we shouldn't have to have this. So I think that this is really kind of a, a short-term fix for getting uh, a podcast that you like to listen to into YouTube music. And before, into the ecosystem, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, before the content creator does that. The other advantage of this is this is a pass-through method, which means that that podcaster is able to monetize their yes. podcast through their existing dynamic ad insertion capability into YouTube music, where if you go in through the YouTube studio, you won't be able to do that because they're capturing a copy of it and rehosting it. Can you so, talk more about YouTube music's um, ad insert monetization? Well, I don't know that, there, that there's a lot to know about it yet. I don't believe that they're really doing that much with it yet. I do believe it's going to follow a lot of the same methodologies that um, ex exist with the with the YouTube platform. So I think it's going to conform to how how the YouTube platform works. But I do know that in the if you import your RSS feed into the the YouTube Studio um, and go that pathway, they're they're going to want an ad-free version of your podcast. Now you can have host reads in there if you want that are embedded, but they yeah. will always be in there. 
That, see, that's the thing is that they're rehosting the media file, which means that anything that's in there will be in there unless you delete the episode and replace it. That's why it's also important when you do brand deals to consider the fact that this content is going to be part of your archive in perpetuity, driving traffic and representing a brand. And you should right. think about that. And that's where you shouldn't let them lowball you on price, even though they will say, oh, well, we're looking at the first 30 days of performance or whatever, it's like, okay, that's great. But you're getting traffic potentially from me in perpetuity. Right. Yeah. It, and that's certainly true. And and it's not always a clear pathway to know how to get them an ad free. So let's say you're signed up for programmatic advertising or dynamic inserted advertising as part of your monetization strategy. You have to create a version of your show in your RSS feed that doesn't have any of that in there. That's where uh, like AI tools like Podcastle could be very helpful because you could literally use the AI yeah. to help you um, edit that out and then have a stripped down version. Yeah, no, that's right. And that's that's what the podcast hosting platforms are. I believe they're probably some of them are scrambling to get this set up so people can yeah. actually do that. Yeah, because uh, then you can search by text. And you can scrub for it and you can say, oh, yeah, when I like when I when you start with this and then with this and then scrub that out and it's like, boom, and that will be like key. I mean, that will be clutch. That's going to be game changing. <laughs> well, we're getting getting toward the end, uh, Roberto. I, I certainly appreciate all of the insights and all of the sharing that you've done done today. But I did make a promise that I was going to do a StreamYard um, giveaway at the end here. So I. I'm going to pull that up here, and I believe that we've been gathering um, entries into this for quite a while now. So let's see what what we have here going on. Let's pull it up on the stage here, and and what we're giving away is a Streamyard mug and Puddles the Duck. So that's the that's the prize. Both of us obviously have this all already, and I'm, I'm sure, Roberto, you have a mug, too, and I drink yes, out of it all the time. Mine so, the dishwasher, assuming no one broke it. <laughs> so we have 47 entries, as you can see on the screen there. And so let me go ahead and hit the, the draw button here and see if we can uh, find a winner of the, of the prize here. So let me... Uh, be funny if I win it. It would be. Oh. I thought for sure that I literally conjured it. You were like right at the last one before it clicked over. It's like it, I think it knew that you, you already had all this stuff. It was like, oh, <laughs> that's like, oh let's not give it to Roberto. Like, so Gregory, cameraman 19. Yeah. Congratulations on winning your StreamYard mug and our good friend Puddles the Dot. Yeah, it's an awesome little, uh, little thing to have around and you can drink your coffee and all that stuff. I think you'll be all uh, set with it. So send me an email to this address. It should pop up here uh, with um, any comments that you want, but also your um, email, I mean, your email address, which I will have if you send me an email um, and your address. So, and we can get these two items shipped out to you wherever you happen to be. So thank you so much everybody for entering and um, keep coming back. You know, I, 
I'm not going to be back doing the show next week because guess what? That's Thanksgiving. Yes. I think we're all going to be eating turkeys and and uh, stuffing and all sorts of yeah. cool stuff. Right. Potato salad. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And so I hope you have a, a fantastic Thanksgiving holiday weekend and uh, week next week. And I certainly appreciate you being here. Um, if you want to um, follow me, um, and I'm, I'm going to get to you, uh, Roberto. I'm on Twitter, X, at uh, Rob Greenlee. And then also I have a website, robgreenlee.com. And I also do, I also have a, a YouTube channel as well, as well as uh, on, I don't know if I put up LinkedIn, but also on LinkedIn. And uh, let's see, what else? Anything else I can share? I also do a live show on the podcasting industry every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. So at newmediashow.com. So those are all great places to catch up with me if you can't get enough of me on this show. So thank you so much. (laughs) And and yeah, so Roberto, why don't you share just quickly with us on how, how people can contact you and follow what you're doing. Oh, I'm at Roberto Blake everywhere in social media, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, RobertoBlake.com. If you want to work with me, go to AwesomeCreatorAcademy.com and uh, you can work with me or you can join um, our Creator Academy Pro group that meets twice a week. Uh, Also, check out the book, Create Something Awesome, How Creators Are Profiting from the Passion of the Creator Economy, available where all books are sold, mostly Amazon. And make sure that you leave me a glowing review over there. Um, Rob, I have one question before we go. Sure, go ahead. Shoot. One enter the podcast Hall of Fame. What's ask the question again? How does one enter the podcast? Oh, um, actually, it's done by by an induction committee. Um, so it's a committee of all the um, current inductees. So we we all kind of gather a list. I think that there's a list of about. Um, about a hundred people right now um, that gets sifted down by, by the group, the group votes and we just tally the, the votes. I believe there's like 28 inductees currently. Uh, and that, that induction ceremony is happening at uh, PodFest down in Orlando. At the end I'll, of- be there. I'll be in there speaking again. Yeah. I'm speaking. You are terrific. I'm going to be down there doing an onstage um, live show. And then also speaking as well about this convergence. Yeah, we'll see each other. So, yeah, we'll see each other there. Um, by any chance, is my good friend Pat Flynn in the Hall of Fame? I believe he is. No, I he's not in it yet, but he's definitely on the list. So oh, yeah, I'm shocked he's not. John Lee Dumas? Uh, he's definitely on the list. He's not in it quite yet. So oh. we did have like a two year delay because um of the world. Because, well, yeah, because of the pandemic, but also podcast movement didn't hold the ceremony for us. And oh. so that's why we, we moved it to PodFest. So in oh, 2022, okay. so if you go to um, podcasthof.com, you can see all of the ex- um, current inductees and kind of the the whole program. It's going to be live streamed on Friday, January 26th, as starting at about, I think, 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, so, so I'm going to be down there. I'm the chairperson of the induction committee and all that stuff so it's just a matter of uh getting through everybody because we we only typically can induct about eight people at a time so these are this next group that's going in are are really really big podcasters so 
like like some of the biggest in the world. So it's it's oh, wow. we kind of had to get those folks in there. <laughs> so that's of course, of course you do. No, yeah, it, yeah. So uh, hopefully, you know, th- this will be a regular basis. We would love to induct more at a at a time, but it it just we ask that each of the inductees gets up and gives a presentation about their journey uh, in becoming a podcaster. So this, this live stream is really kind of a learning opportunity too, from learn from the the path that many of these very successful podcasters have traveled yeah, to, no, this to that. Right. Tremendous. This is yeah. tremendous. Um, you know, yeah, no, it'd be great to see uh, Pat Flynn potentially. It would be. No, no, Pat's a great guy, and yeah. we would love to get get him in there. Same with John. Yeah, I've known both those guys for a long time, and it'd be it'd be fantastic to get both those guys in there. I agree with yeah. you, hundred yeah. percent. So, well, thank you everybody for for joining us um, and for for hanging in there for almost an hour and a half. So okay. that's fantastic. Speaking of long form content, right, Roberto? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So. Like I said, thank you so much, and thank you, Roberto, for for joining me. And and, and we'll have to do this again sometime. There, there's so oh, many I'm topics happy. for us to to talk about here. I'm happy um, to do it. I'm happy to come back. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. So so let's uh, let's move it on out, and everybody else can kind of move on with their evening and 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 enjoy the the rest of the week and enjoy the rest of your evening. So thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>